The Squiz is a free weekday email and podcast. We're your shortcut to being informed. How Australian kids perform at school is always a hot topic with parents, teachers and taxpayers. Our future workforce, leaders and citizens depend on a good education system, so it's not surprising that it's something that gets ongoing attention. In this episode of Squiz Shortcuts, we're going to take a look at how our education system works, where Australia ranks relative to the rest of the world and the debate about how to lift our game. Squiz Shortcuts is your shortcut to more than the headlines. I'm Larissa Moore. And I'm Claire Kimball. We'll start with some basics about Australia's education system, Claire. So in Australia, there are three parts in the education sector, and that's public schools, Catholic schools and other independent schools all receive funding from taxpayers. And we're going to get to how funding works in a minute. The education and training sector is a shared responsibility of the Australian federal government and then the individual state and territory governments. So how's that cooperative federalism working out? Yeah, that's a very (laughs) good question. It's such an easy thing, cooperative federalism. And it's really the nub of a lot of issues that keep coming up time and again about the education system. And that's that friction between the states and the territories and the Commonwealth governments. How it works is the states and territories oversee course accreditation and student assessments. Also things like the regulation uh, of educational quality, looking at performance and also reporting on educational outcomes. And they're all things that the Commonwealth has a very strong interest in. And then there's the issue of the curriculum. This is a long running debate about what kids should be taught in our schools. It's a debate that has been a talking point really for decades. Uh, These days, Australia has a national curriculum and the idea is that there's a really clear understanding of what students should learn regardless of where they live or what school system they're in. Which takes us now to the money. Let's look at that next. While the state and territory governments have overarching responsibility for schools, the Commonwealth also provides school funding. And that funding role gives the Commonwealth a say in Australia's national education policy. That's a discussion that's hosted by the Council of Australian Governments. So let's get down to brass tacks. How does the money work? Government schools account for 65.6% of students in 2020. The state and territories are the majority funder of the government sector, which is in line with their constitutional responsibility to run the public education system. And when it comes to the non-government schools, they account for 34.4% of students. The Commonwealth Government is the majority funder of those. That reflects successive Commonwealth Government's commitment to supporting parental choice uh, and also diversity in the schooling system. So private schools do receive taxpayer funds where the federal government makes an assessment that takes into account the capacity of school communities to contribute to schools' operating costs. So, for example, the ability of parents to pay school fees. That's right. And when you round it all up, around three quarters of funding for Catholic schools and less than a half of funding for other independent schools is from the government. One buzzword that comes up a lot with funding is Gonski and I guess Gonski 2.0. What's that about? So, David Gonski is an Australian businessman. He headed a couple of reviews into schools funding, one under Prime Minister Julia Gillard and another 
another under Malcolm Turnbull. Of course, Gillard being from the Labor side of politics and Turnbull from the coalition side. Uh, The main issue was to recommend a fair, equitable and efficient school funding system across all levels of government. And the Commonwealth also looked to chip in extra funds. It's a bit of a complicated thing, but the short story is that there's an allocation of funding to schools on the basis of a formula that's called a real needs assessment. And we probably need to do a whole shortcut on Gonski to really (laughs) unpack that, but let's just leave that there. A recent report from the Productivity Commission said that despite government spending on all schools going up 58% in the last decade, students' scores in maths, reading and science have fallen. Let's have a look at that now. Let's start by looking at how Australia's education standards compare to the rest of the world. There's this thing called the PISA report, Claire. That's the Program for International Student Assessment. It's conducted every three years and assesses the maths, reading and science skills of 600,000 15-year-olds from 79 countries. Australia is one of those countries, so let's take a look at how we did. So our averaged performance in Australia has been steadily declining uh, in reading, particularly when you look at the years 2000 to 2018, and in mathematics between 2003 and 2018. They came from initially quite high levels of performance, so keep that in mind. Uh, It's uh, also been declining too in science, at least since 2012. So not that great. How do we stack up compared to the rest of the world? On reading, there were 15 countries ahead of us. Uh, We ranked 12th in 2015, so a decline there. In science, there were 16 countries ahead of us in 2018, and there were nine countries ahead of us in 2015. So again, a bit of a decline in our performance. And in maths, there were 28 countries ahead of us in 2018. Uh, That's a decline from 19 countries ahead of us in 2015. We're behind countries when you look at all of it, uh, like China, Singapore, Canada, Ireland, and even Estonia. Uh, We're on a par, though, with the likes of Sweden, New Zealand, the US, the UK, and Japan. So that's the PISA results. NAPLAN results also figure quite a lot in conversations about education standards. It sure does. NAPLAN comes up a lot. It's an assessment program that was introduced in 2008 to measure basic skills in literacy and numeracy in the years uh, three, five, seven, and nine at school. They're standardised tests. It was designed to give parents and teachers an assessment of a child's development. Uh, In general, when you look at the results, the average performance of students is not much better, not much worse than it was a decade ago. But there's a particular concerning result around the tests of writing skills particularly in year seven and year nine students, they've gone backwards quite a bit. So that's where our education standards and results sit. Let's see what our policymakers say needs to be done to improve things. Federal Education Minister Dan Tian really honed in on curriculum being a large part of the problem of our sliding international standards in education. He says the curriculum is too convoluted and he's calling for a shift to a back to basics approach that would put literacy and numeracy back to the heart of it. But what about funding? Some people think it's the funding that needs to be increased to solve this problem. 
Yeah, funding really is the thing that people keep coming back to. The federal government's pushed back on that, saying that when you take Estonia, which I mentioned just a moment ago, mm. it was the top performing country in that PISA report when you look at reading and science, and they spend half as much money per student as Australia. That's certainly Dan Tian and the federal government's view. Over the decade to 2017, the combined federal and state government funding for public schools grew by 22%. And when you look at non-government schools, it grew by 46%. That disparity uh, comes down to the increase in funding that the Commonwealth Government has put in. And of course, as we talked about before, a lot of that goes towards the non-government sector. When you look at the increase in funding for public schools, it hasn't gone up as much because the state governments, which mostly fund those public schools, haven't lifted their contribution to the same level. And how does Australia's spending on education compare internationally? Very good question. The Grattan Institute found that Australia spends less taxpayer dollars per capita on education than comparable OECD countries. That includes countries like the US, the UK, New Zealand and Canada. So when we're looking at improving standards, there's the curriculum, there's more funding. What about teachers themselves? That's also an issue that comes up all the time. In fact, New South Wales is currently holding a review into the workload and conditions of public school teachers and principals. They say that what needs to be done in terms of the ever-changing context of government priorities, also social expectations and demands on school operations and teachers means that teachers' time is really stretched. So they're having a look into that. In December, after these PISA results, the state education ministers met at COAG. That's the Council of Australian Governments. The need for improvement was obviously a really big topic. What came out of that meeting? So a number of commitments, including looking at the curriculum again, particularly around that sort of year 10 level, uh, also establishing a number of those reform proposals that have already been put forward through that Gonski process, particularly the Gonski 2.0 process, which is only from a couple of years ago. Uh, Also looking at NAPLAN testing, looking at the evidence and also new education research uh, to try and look at best practice for teachers when improving educational outcomes, as well as reducing red tape for teachers. There's a lot to get through. It's definitely something that's going to keep coming up in the news, that's for sure. And that's your shortcut to education in Australia. On to our recommendations. My recommendation is to go onto the PISA website where you can actually have a look and take some of the test questions. You can figure out if you're actually as smart as 15-year-olds these days. I'm a bit worried about it. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know if I feel that's like, something I want to do. I feel like I've yeah, <laughs> forgotten more than I ever learned at school. <laughs> Mine is a shameless plug for Squiz Kids. Uh, what we're trying to do with Squiz Kids is get uh, eight to 12-year-olds really interested in the news. It's a podcast uh, that we've released. We're really excited about it. We're getting some great feedback. It's being uh, taken up in the classroom. Parents are using it uh, on their drive to school and start some conversations about the news. We're really excited about it. It is really exciting to be getting such fantastic fantastic feedback for Squiz Kids. If you are wanting to check it out, there's a link in your episode notes to Squiz Kids. And if you want to take that PISA test and see if you're as smart as a 15-year-old, there's a link to that as well. 
Thanks for listening to our shortcut on education. A quick reminder, we also have written versions of each episode on our website. So if you want to revisit the topics in a bit more detail, plenty of topics to check out, coronavirus, Harry and Meghan's new arrangement, a look at Scott Morrison and Anthony Albanese if you want to get to know our political leaders a bit better, as well as plenty of international topics. Until next time.